0: Our Old Testament reading today is taken from the prophecy of Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles before you, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 39, reading verses 7 to 8 and then 21 to 29. The Lord says, In my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. And then down to verse 21, And I will set my glory among the nations. And all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name." They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again together. Father, as we approach your holy word, um, we we desire now that you grant us appetite by your spirit to feed upon this truth. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our minds and open our hearts by your spirit, that your spirit would be our instructor today. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and today, may the meditation of all of our hearts before you. May they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer we pray it through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I've recently been reading um, a series of, of novels by an author that you may know, his name is Isaac Asimov, and uh, they're classic science fiction novels, they're really uh, mystery novels, and uh, they follow the, the uh, police work of a man named Elijah Bailey and his, pro- his partner named Daniil, and it's very, very good reading. Asimov, as you may know, he's an interesting author. He's an atheist, but he's also Jewish. And the idea of God just seems to come out of his writing uh, in spite of himself, whether whether he knew it or not. And in this series, in this vision of a very, very distant earth, the planet has become dominated by the city. Huge cities across the globe have become really the only human reality and the only human presence. The open fields of the earth and all the vast tracts of land and the earth and the soil and woodstock and stone, it's all become a kind of anathema. Humans don't deal with open space anymore, and neither do they deal with light Asimov's vision of the future of the earth, it's this massive steel dome. The city is this massive cave of steel, and it's cut off from all natural light altogether. And at a certain point in the second novel called Caves of Steel, this Elijah Bailey, he goes for the very first time, he ventures outside of this dome, and his experience is very telling. He's 40 something And he experiences the brilliance of the sun for the very first time. And it's this unmediated encounter with the glory of the sun. You'd think that the instinctive response would be awe and delight at seeing the sun for the first time. But the response is disgust. The response is loathing, and Elijah can't comprehend how anyone could prefer the light of the sun to the conditioned and the artificial light of the city. It's a very striking metaphor, isn't it, when we ponder it? When the authorized version translates Romans 1.28, it says of the men and the women of this city, of this world, they did not like to retain the knowledge of God. They didn't want it. They built these massive steel domes around their minds because they did not prefer, they did not like the knowledge of God. And even if that idea comes to them like a brilliant shaft of light, it comes not with pleasure, but it comes with marked discomfort to them. See, God's law, Scripture says, is God's light. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It shows us where to go. And so the Scripture says that the unfolding of your word, it gives us light in Psalm 119. And Jesus, he comes to unfold the word of God to us. He's the perfect image of God, and he teaches us the way of God. And Jesus underscores the significance of God's law. It's unrivaled significance for us. And he says himself, go thou you and do likewise. And Jesus says, the father has sent me to live in obedience to him. So I send you. And brothers and sisters, you see here, human nature, these caves of steel, doesn't want to hear this thing. It does not want the notion of God. It doesn't want to be ruled by God, it doesn't want to be governed by God whatsoever. And Jesus says this, or John the apostle says this in John chapter three, "This is the judgment upon God." The world, that light has come into the world. Brilliant shafts of light. And the judgment is this, that people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's the problem, my brothers and sisters. They don't want it. They want their caves of steel. They loathe the light. They loathe the law, they loathe God's ways. And unless we begin here and recognize that by nature, you and I do not love the light, that by nature we do not love the law of God, and that we have built our own caves of steel around our lives to keep that light out, that we are lawbreakers, that we are law-haters, and that every one of these Ten Commandments that we are studying in this series, we despise them by nature. We resent them. We resent God's rule. We resent the kingly authority of Christ in our lives. Unless we begin there, we'll never, ever feel the need for a Savior. There's nothing to be saved from. And unless we see the vaulting and the elevated demands of God's law we will never understand Jesus as Spurgeon preached in 1857 Spurgeon was 23 years old and he preached to that great crowd at the music hall in the in the, the Royal Gardens in Surrey and Spurgeon cried out he's I see the law I see that it condemns me, but I behold Christ obeying it. Oh, how holy Christ must have been to obey all of these laws for me. There's no perception of Jesus unless we see him obeying it all. And so, brothers and sisters, may God so reveal to us today his righteousness and his righteous One, Jesus Christ loved his father's law more than he loved anything else, and he wants us to allow him to live that love through us today, to pull apart our domes of steel and our caves, and to change our hearts, and to make us love the light even as he loves the light. That's what he does by his grace. And so today, we're considering commandment number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold that person guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the Westminster Divines, they found many applications for this commandment. It's quite a a long, expanded uh, description. And if we read the larger catechism of the Westminster Assembly, we read that the third commandment demands of us, wherever God makes himself known, that we respond with a reverence to that revelation that is mindful of his glory. The Westminster Divines say that this commandment demands of us that wherever God makes himself known, reveals himself to be who he is, that we should respond with a reverence that is mindful of his majestic glory. Now, you see, throughout Scripture, God is interested in publishing himself. It strikes us as very odd, I think, but it's true. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, Ezekiel 36. My name will be great among the nations, Malachi 1. For my sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? I won't give my glory to anyone else. How can I endure my name being profaned, Isaiah 48. And even in Psalm 23, you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, you do it. See, God desires to publish his fame and his honor and his greatness. He wants his glory to be beheld by everyone. That is to say, God loves himself more than he loves his creation. God loves himself more than he loves you, and more than he loves me. (laughs) What an odd thing, if this weren't the case. If God tells us to love what is most important of all, but God, who is love itself, doesn't himself love the best and the most important thing most of all. What an odd thing it would be. How strange it would be if Jesus Christ loves us more than he loves his Father. God, Scripture says, he aims at himself above all. And he wants his fame, and he wants his glory, and he wants his renown to be seen by everyone. And for a human... Well, that would be sheer narcissism. But for God, who is the beginning, and who is the end, and from whom, and through whom, and to whom are all things, for God, who by nature is the goal of everything exists, whether it's an ant, or a butterfly, or a stream, or a flower, or a human person, God is the goal of Everything For God, this declared self-interest is the most reasonable thing for him to do. <laughs> in fact, for God to want otherwise would be untrue to who he is. God is very interested in his own name. He wants everyone to regard it, to revere it, to adore it, to love it. Because name here in the third commandment means so much more than those several appellations that we see of himself in Scripture. Name here is more than the names that he declares himself to be. If you make a name for yourself, if you have a good name that speaks of your reputation, speaks of your character, speaks of who you are. It speaks of what you stand for. To have a good name is not like Fernando. (laughs) It's a great name. Fernando. It just falls off the tongue and the lips really nicely. Fernando. What a great name Fernando is. But that's not what this is talking about. To have a good name, Proverbs 22. To have a good name is to be chosen above riches. That's not Fernando, as nice as that name is. The kind of name that the Bible talks about here is a name that represents your reputation, that is grounded upon your character, who you are, the substance of your person. And so to honor the name of God is to honor his character. It's to honor his reputation wherever that character or that reputation is revealed by him. And at times, this does come through those several names that are revealed by him. Yahweh, the one who will be what he will be. The one who will demonstrate himself. Moses says, what is your name? They want to know what your name is. Yahweh. I will be Moses, what I will be. That is, I will demonstrate to you who I am by what I do. Just watch Moses, and you'll see who I am by my mighty and saving acts. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is Jehovah Tzidkanu. He is God our righteousness. He is Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace itself. And he is Jesus Christ, the God who brings the unction of his spirit to us, and the God who saves us from our sins. He is all these things. But his name, scripturally, encompasses his entire revealed character. And this commandment here, it asks us to submit and to yield our hearts and minds to the revelation of God wherever it appears in scripture, and to revere and to adore the character of God. And not, my brothers and sisters, just those characters and just those revelations that we find especially comforting. You know, Scripture speaks of God as creator, but far more often it speaks of God as destroyer. And that is a revelation that we too must stand in awe of. When the church had just begun in the book of Acts, there was two couples, a man and a wife, and God kills these people, because they were deceitful, and because they were rebellious, He kills Ananias and Sapphira. And do you know what happens in Acts chapter five at the beginning of the church, it says that the whole church, great fear, came upon everybody. And all of a sudden they realize this, our God, he destroys. He will be held in reverence by all as Lord, as creator, as destroyer. And he will have his name honored. This is why Jesus, by the way, when he teaches his disciples to pray, as we read today, he begins with this. In fact, if you, if you look at the opening of the Lord's Prayer, you can see how Jesus takes his disciples in very short order through the first three commandments. He begins with our Father, the one unrivaled God of the first commandment. And then Jesus says, who art in heaven, the incomparable heavenly God of the second commandment, who's not to be likened to any earthly creature. And then Jesus prays, hallowed be thy name. Lord God, may your name be rightly revered by all. And as Luther writes, and as is very difficult for us all to receive, we are given this prayer because we do not keep the command. When we pray this prayer, writes Luther, we testify that we are blasphemers of God. Have you repented lately of blaspheming the name of the Lord? Luther goes on, if we hallowed God's name perfectly we wouldn't need this prayer. In our lives, he writes, we defile, we blaspheme, we dishonor, we profane, and we desecrate the name of the Lord. How do, you, how, how do we do this, you ask? Well, again, to quote the Westminster Catechism, we do this whenever we oppose the truth Of who God has revealed himself to be. You see, it's much more and so much more than just saying God's name flippantly, which is bad enough. I don't understand my brothers and sisters, Christians, who say, oh my God, as a casual uh, exclamation. I know many who do. When I was in Toronto as a pastor, uh, I had a, a Saturday night class of adults, and I was teaching them a uh, curriculum of how to understand God. And I remember arguing with this guy on this point. He couldn't fathom what's wrong with it, and I couldn't fathom him. I mean, I just don't understand the utter lack of fear in that. Personally, I prefer the Jewish practice. When they came to the letter letters Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, they just refused to utter it because they were so afraid of saying the name of God incorrectly. I understand when the world does it. I understand when the world uses God's name or Christ's name as an exclamation because they've denied that it has any value apart from their use of it. But brothers and sisters, it should grieve us, and it should cut us to the quick, when we hear it, when we love someone, we are eager to maintain their honor. If you can imagine yourself being married, or if you are married, you can imagine that it would be one of the greatest griefs to walk into a conversation where the name of your beloved was being tarnished, or smeared, or mud raked, or vilified. If you walked into a crowd and people were casting these aspersions on the name of your spouse, it's very likely that you would take it poorly. In fact, probably you wouldn't take it at all. You couldn't stomach the crowd to be trampling upon the honor of your mate. I had a very venerable systematic theology prof from Australia. He was a reformed Anglican and he used to have this practice when he would be out in public and someone would say, oh my God, he would turn to them and say, tell me about your God. (laughs) Who is he? It's interesting, isn't it, that you and I pay money to cable companies and theaters and online streaming. We give them money so that we can listen to the name of our Lord trounced and profaned. And it doesn't seem to bother most of us in the least. I don't know what the answer is. But I can tell you this. The Lord loves the honor of his name. And scripture today tells us that he will not hold him guiltless who profanes it. And God loves his name so much that he sent his son For this express purpose, that in living and in dying and in rising again, Jesus Christ might be exalted above all and that he might have the name bestowed upon him that is above every name so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess, whether in heaven or whether upon earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Brothers and sisters, when we think of the mission of Jesus, and even when we think of John 3.16, we have to bear this in mind. It's not for your sake. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I do this. It's not for your sake that I'm about to act, but I do it for the sake of my name, that it might not be profaned among the nations. And this is something, brothers and sisters, the evangelical church has thought far too little about. And may the Lord so move on our hearts today that starting this evening and getting up in the morning, we might truly pray to God, O Father, hallowed be your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.